Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty. And a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about CanadaLand and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures, and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support CanadaLand. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. Quick crowdfunding message before we get to the show. I will keep this brief. By now, you have heard me ask you to support Canada Land many times, and there are still some people out there who have not supported us and have no plans to. Their plan is... Maybe your plan is to keep listening to this show and our other shows and to not support us on Patreon. I want to speak to you. I have something for you. This isn't about what you can do for me. I want to tell you what I can do for you. Because really, to keep coming back to this show without supporting it, it's kind of like when you have somebody over for a dinner party and they don't bring a bottle of wine. That's fine. You didn't invite them over for a bottle of wine. You wanted them. You wanted their company. I want you to listen to this show. It's the same thing. It's not a big deal. But the second time they come over with nothing, the third time, the fourth time, you made dinner, you bought some wine, everybody else brought some wine, maybe a nice cheese. This is the guy who doesn't bring anything. And you still might want their company, but it makes things awkward. It's hard to have that conversation without thinking, why don't you ever bring anything? And you know that too. You know that you're the only person there who hasn't brought anything. It's awkward for you. I want you to keep coming to this podcast. I don't want it to be awkward for you. For a buck a month, five bucks if you want to skip the ads, you can listen to this show 
and not feel awkward. You could actually feel great because now you're chipping in and the cheese pairs with the wine and everybody's happy and we all have a good time. I'm trying to help you. Go to patreon.com slash CanadaLand. Now is the time. This doesn't have to be awkward. We need your support. I am very proud to say, and I, I very frequently say, that Canada Land is the most popular Canadian podcast. But I can't say that anymore. I recently found out how many people listen to Christy Lee's show. Christy is an Australian-born part-time podcaster who writes and hosts and produces and publishes the Canadian True Crime Podcast. Erin Kristen Chorney was born on September 30th, 1983 to parents Darcy and Debbie in Brandon, Manitoba. Brandon is the second largest city. It took the jury less than seven hours to deliberate, finding Michael Bridges guilty of first-degree murder. Almost two years ago, we were on the hunt for other Canadian-made podcasts that actually have sizable audiences because we were looking for shows to work with. And hers was the only one that came close to us on the charts. At the time, it was doing almost as well as Canada Land. And we even tried to partner up with her. She came by for a meeting. She was lovely. We hit it off. She considered our offer. And then she passed. We figured it was because she just wasn't ready to go pro. That was pretty dumb of us. In the time that has since passed, Christy has kicked our ass. She gets 110,000 listeners per episode. 45% of whom are Canadian, which makes her show the most popular Canadian podcast. She has built this audience quietly and organically. True crime does not get a lot of respect as a genre, not a lot of press, not a lot of promotion. So Christy has connected with a network of fellow true crime podcasters, many of whom also happen to be Canadian. Some are hobbyists, some are former hobbyists turned pro. They promote each other's work, they help each other find advertisers, they shout each other out. They are nice to each other, in a way that the media industry that I know is not. Guys, I cannot tell you how floored I was to learn of this whole secret Canadian true crime ecosystem. Rogers just launched a podcast network. Chorus just launched a podcast network. This huge company, E1, has a podcast network. But I am increasingly convinced that Christie's loose affiliation of homemade true crime podcasts is the real Canadian podcasting industry. And she's going to join me in a moment. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Lucas Funk, Trina Richards, Dave Poisson, Andrew Gillespie, Cameron Hurd, Christina Parsons, Michael Vass, and Cassandra Porter. Hi, I'm Cassandra, a lawyer living in Toronto, and I support Canada Land to ensure that we can all continue to benefit from its deep dive beyond what Canada's mainstream media may overlook or purposefully ignore. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity 
and they are doing cutting edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away, but often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. Hey, Christy. Hi, Jesse. How's it going? I'm all right. You're a nice lady from Australia. I'm all right. You have a day job that is not podcasting. You seem like a wholesome and normal person. Do I? (laughs) (laughs) To the extent that I know you, yes. Um, (laughs) But there are nights when after your kids go to sleep, where you record obsessively researched podcasts about Canadian psychopaths and serial killers. Yes. Why do you do that? (laughs) Wow. Um, (laughs) That is a very long-winded question with a long-winded answer. Um, (laughs) Okay. I've always been into true crime. I've always been into the darker side of life, really. Um, And true crime is obviously a huge part of that. And a couple of years ago, my friend told me about this podcast called Serial, which I'm sure you've heard of. And um, I started listening to it and I was blown away. Like now I can listen to these things on demand with my headphones on, true crime. I don't have to wait for um, long ad breaks like you do on TV. Um, And I really enjoyed listening to this. And then after that, I just consumed all true crime podcasts that I could find. And that was about three years ago. And it was just when the genre was really starting to to bloom. Was Serial the first podcast you ever listened to? Yes. You had not heard of podcasting three years ago. I had heard of podcasting, but I just thought it was some random abstract thing that other people were doing. Three years ago, you listened to your first podcast and then said, I'm going to make a podcast. Yes. This is just so depressing. Please continue. <laughs> Yeah, so then I found a lot of other true crime podcasts, uh, most of them from the US and uh, one big one from Australia. And I was in a lot of Facebook groups and they were saying, who's doing the Canadian cases? Like, who's covering the Canadian crimes? And I started thinking to myself, yeah, like there's really only one other podcast, or there was at the time, who was covering Canadian crimes. And that was Someone Knows Something. He covers... um, 
a whole case over one season, mm-hmm. but there was no one doing a case by case thing except nighttime out in um, Nova Scotia, who covers crimes mainly from Atlantic Canada. So I thought, okay, I'm going to try my hand at this. And I wrote a script and then I figured out how to record it in my closet. And, um, and then I figured out how to edit it and, and add some music and I uploaded it. And then within the first couple of hours, I got about 400 downloads and I was shocked. I was like, who are these people? Where are they coming from? I hadn't promoted it anywhere. And it turns out that they were just literally searching iTunes for Canadian true crime. Right. You, Sorry. Have, you have very search engine friendly uh, I do, title. yeah. And yeah, it's by design. Like I work in marketing for my day job. Okay. So. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that explains some of Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want to know more about the business side of this um, right. and, and how it's exploded. And then I want to talk to you about the content of it. This is like your hobby. I, I don't want to, I'm not trying to disparage them, but you have a day job, you have a family life, yeah. and then you make this podcast. Are you making more money off of your podcast than your day job? No, no, I'm not. Um, my big challenge is that my audience is 45% Canadian and then about 30 to 40% US and then other countries. So I have this issue where advertisers want to advertise their products to the appropriate audience and Canadian advertisers want to advertise to Canadians. U.S. advertisers want to advertise to U.S. So I I was unable to find one agency that could handle both Canadians and U.S. audience and match them up with advertisers. I mostly get paid for my Canadian audience because my main agency here in Toronto only handles Canadian advertisers. Right. And now, yeah, there's technology, I'll I'll tell our listeners, where you actually can serve different ads to Americans and Canadians. So it's possible for you to sell them, but it's just more work in in terms of representing the ads. It is. And it's really hard to find that balance. So the long, the short answer to the question is no, I'm not earning um, as much. I'm basically earning from the podcast the equivalent of minimum wage per year. Huh. Oh, anyhow, I can, we'll talk later. I think you could be doing better. All right. (laughs) Um, one thing that I find fascinating is that you have been generous in using your platform to springboard other shows, and they've been generous in doing the same for you. Um, we're kind of talking recently because you've generously uh, been shouting out Thunder Bay, and the attitude that you have is very different than the competitive attitude in the professional media circles where right. there's this idea that like you don't even mention the, the other people exist. I've had this kind of attitude that like, you know what, we're so new, podcasts are so new, and really, we're just trying to eat into the traditional radio listenership, which is massive, and we're so tiny, that it won't hurt us to help each other. No. You know, I I, I thought that theoretically, but it seems like what you're a part of is proof of that, because that hasn't compromised you that there's competition. It's actually been, you've gotten much, much bigger as more and more shows have have emerged. Exactly. And It's really only competition if you produce enough content to serve your audience's listening ears, right? So they want to listen to podcasts all the time, but I only produce a one-hour episode twice a month. Yeah. So they're going to be listening to other things during that time. So you may as well tell them about other things that they could be listening to and then have those other podcasts be promoting you in that time. So, yeah. Do you know of like uh, other people in this world who have made it their profession? Yes. Uh Uh-huh. Yep, all in the U.S. In the U.S.? Yep. Is that what you want to do? 
that's a really difficult question because I went to university and I got a degree in marketing business and I've been working in marketing and communications ever since. So that's nearly 18 years now. Right. And I've built up a career that's gone from Australia to um, Canada and I work for a, a wonderful company in the financial services industry. I'm not a particularly risk-taking kind of person. Right. So it would be a big shift for me to quit a job that I, a career that I've built up to to take this on when I'm not sure of the future. I think if I didn't have kids, I probably would. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, one thing that occurred to me looking at your catalog of shows and the stories uh, that the crimes that you've that you've covered is that we don't really have the same culture in Canada of true crime entertainment and the, the real life true crime stuff here. You first of all, there's like a I hate to say it because it's this grim stuff, but like there's a wealth of material. Yeah. There's like so many untold stories, or there's so many stories that have you know people know from the headlines, but they've never had presented to them as an entertaining story. And I wonder why that is. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I do. Um, okay, so here in Canada, we have the Fifth Estate who have brought um, quite a lot of well-known cases to the masses by packaging up an hour-long episode that gives like a good overview of all the parts of the case. And audiences have really loved those. But I think the difference between true crime in the US and true crime in Canada is that it's not as easy to get the details in Canada as it is in the US. And I know this from networking with my true crime podcasting friends in the US, they can, it's pretty easy for them to fill out a freedom of information uh-huh. request and then get all of the court documents sent to them. That's super interesting. Right. And then yeah. they go through all of the court documents. The information is right there. Whereas here in Canada, it's not the same. I think some people are able to get freedom of information requests granted, but generally no. No, so, this is a big uh, complaint of journalists. The system is, I mean, you can go pull court records, you can get, but the freedom, there's two different things, pulling court records and then freedom of information. Freedom of information system is notoriously broken, takes forever, and you don't necessarily get what you ask for. Right. At, yeah. at, Court documents aren't readily available either to the average person. Sure. So I wonder if it doesn't have something to do with the fact that, you know, in the States there's often video cameras in courtrooms or there's reporters recording what happens in courtrooms. Like we're not used to things right. happen here and you don't get to see that the process, you know, of, of a right. trial. It, it's not, you know, it's not on CNN first. And then I also wonder if we don't have the same entertainment system that Americans do because they, they, they turn everything into a movie. Like they do, yeah. If Robert Pickton had happened in the United States, there would be a Robert Pickton movie. For sure. Um, one, but from what I gather, it's just about access to information. It's a lot more difficult for me to write a case up based on information that I find from the media here in Canada because I have to find a trial reporter who's gone and sat through every day of the trial and talks about like the nuances of, you know, who looked at who and that type of stuff. So I really need that trial reporting um, because I can't access those court documents or that other information that the US-based podcasters are seemingly able to get quite easily. So do you build your episodes mostly on media reports as opposed to court documents? Yep. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, sometimes court documents have been released for a certain hearing, a pretrial hearing or something, but I don't think I've ever come across a complete set of court documents for a case that I've covered. Uh-huh. So what I meant when I said, why do you do that after your kids are going to sleep, you talk about right. murder and record it in your closet and get into the grisly details. What I actually meant is like humans are 
obsessed with this stuff. Yeah. I was surprised to hear how well your podcast is doing, which is no comment on, on, you have a great podcast. I just have a big ego and thought we had the biggest podcast. <laughs> and then I talked myself down and said, well, look, hey, it's Canadian media criticism versus true crime. Right. What's going to do better? That's what People I said. People love this. I have a fondness for a certain, certain types of true crime writing. What do you think draws us towards this material and what draws you towards it? Because it's become like, it's a big part of your life. Yeah, well, humans love human stories. They always have. And these are the worst kind. So they feel it on a a visceral level. These are things that could happen to your husband or your daughter or your mother. You know, these are things that can happen to any of us. And at the end of the day, they're just human interest stories. You know, we always say the negative stories always attract more attention than the positive ones. Yeah. And this is the prime example of that. I guess there's like some stories that are fun puzzles, whodunit type things or yeah. procedurals where you're like, oh, I wonder if it was this person or that person. And people who binge on, you know, making a murderer or, or, or the jinx, you're trying to figure out like, is this person guilty or not? Or Yeah. But you're dealing with stuff where we know, we know that they did it. Yeah. So I only deal with solved cases. And the people who cover the unsolved and the missing people cases, they want to go through theories and and discussions and what might have happened and who could the perpetrator have been. My cases are solved. So we know who the perpetrator is. So people are listening in to find out who is that person? What was their childhood like? Why did they do this? How did they end up like this? So there's, there's several different streams that people enjoy. I personally prefer solved cases because I don't like unanswered questions. I like to know the answers. So Right. Well, if, if the pleasure for you doesn't come out of solving the puzzle, then, no. it, must, then, then it is about... It's about the psychology of it. Yeah. It's observing kind of the, the horrible things that people are capable of. Yeah. And why they did it, how, um, how they came to be that way. And what could I possibly look for in my life that might signal something like that happening and what I could possibly do about it? Uh-huh. This kind of storytelling has a lot of ethical complications attached yeah. to it. You're talking about real people, dead people. Uh, you're talking about people who have survivors and even the criminals. Uh, these are people who are alive and who I, – I, it's just I've become more familiar with it through our Thunder Bay project. And I am aware of the draw that true crime has. We have, we have presented Thunder Bay to the world as a true crime show because those shows do very well. We know through Connie Walker's show, Finding Cleo, if you put out a show and say this is about um, missing and murdered indigenous women, it is not going to do as well as a show that is a procedural about, uh, you know, a true crime story. What I'm curious about is how you navigate the ethics of that. And, And I've listened to different episodes of your show and I feel like there's I feel like some of the early episodes compared to uh, Robert Picton, which I know is maybe a year ago you, you started that, and the Robert Picton story began with you describing the social and economic and political circumstances that led to the Hastings and Maine neighborhood being as troubled in Vancouver as it was. Right. And, you know, crime doesn't happen because somebody is evil right. necessarily. There are all sorts of circumstances that have to do with politics. And is it accurate to say that your work has increasingly dealt with that stuff? Yeah, I would say so. Um, Back in the early days, I was concentrating on covering a story, making sure that I honoured the victim and the survivors, if there were any, and just making sure that I got the facts right. 
But now, and I also covered the Ecole Polytechnique massacre, and obviously uh-huh. there's a lot of political and and social and cultural issues that came into play that kind of turned into this firestorm of why he did what he did. So I had to explore all of that as well. So if I had have set out just to tell the tale of that person and what he did, then it would have been a different story. But I couldn't tell it without going through all of those those his, other details. His misogyny, his ideas. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, how Quebec came to be... Um, to be separate from everybody else and and all the challenges that they went through. So, yeah. Um, Have you heard from victims? I mean, there's always the the fear of opening old wounds. Yeah, I have. And this is one of the big ethical things that true crime podcasters have to think about. So when you're covering solved cases, there is really nothing that I can offer a family. If you're covering unsolved cases, then you can offer them the chance for awareness and for somebody to be listening to your show who might know something and to contact the authorities. I can't offer that because... But you can offer them a lot of pain through that too. My problem with... I haven't been listening to somebody know something because I was so turned off by the first season. Oh. Because he's like bringing up this missing child case and was suggesting, oh, the, the parents are people of interest in this. Right. And I thought... Unless you either find this kid, find out what happened to this kid, or prove that the parents killed this kid, you're a son of a bitch. To drudge up an old case like that and, yeah. and you know, expose the parents to like, A, we're going to like bring up the idea that maybe we're going to solve this. Maybe you'll finally get some closure. Also, we're going to lead people to wonder whether or not you did it. If that doesn't actually yield some kind of result, then that just felt to me like I couldn't even – I felt implicated by listening to it. Right. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm jumping. Like, there have been many seasons of that show. I don't even know. Maybe it's a great show now. But that first season, I, I hear what you're saying. It could actually help. But I was uh, I was turned off by that. I ha- Well, I don't like unsolved cases, so I haven't listened. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it, it hurts my brain. It yeah. literally hurts my brain to go through theories. Like I like – I like things that are true. I don't like to discuss hypotheticals. Right. But I totally get what you're saying. But if you were to sit down with this person's family and say, would you prefer that this case was covered with the chance of some more information coming out? Or would you prefer nothing? I think they would prefer the coverage. Maybe. Maybe you're right. Maybe they had that conversation. I mean, if they did, I would have liked to have heard it. But uh, that's entirely possible. Yeah. Um, I have another friend in the US um, who has one of the largest missing people podcasts. I think it is the largest. It's called The Vanished. And she's also another podcaster who started as a hobby and now she's gone full time and she supports uh, her husband and three children on this podcast. And um, she has families contacting her to cover the missing stories of their loved ones Mm -hmm. and she specializes in cases that don't actually get a lot of media coverage already. So a lot of them are not the pretty white girl cases. Um, they have a pretty white girl syndrome where the media prefers to concentrate on those cases rather than marginalized or people who um, people who've taken drugs or who lead um, high risk lifestyles. Sure. So she covers all those kind of cases. And some of them have been found deceased or alive. Some of them are still missing. But at the end of the day, the families contacted her to get this coverage. Well, that would be a dream come true if you're like, why doesn't anyone care about my missing child? Right. Yeah. 
And that's, you, you hit on another big issue, which is that we really favor a certain kind of victim, don't we? That, oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I think that respect for victims is probably the first consideration, and it must be. But I also wonder about the perpetrators. Your show is described as um, a show about cruel people who have committed heinous acts. Do you, after some years of doing this, come out of it with a harsher perspective towards these people? Or do you come out of this with a feeling of more compassion towards perpetrators? Like, uh, what what has the experience of covering this stuff done to your sympathies? <laughs> well, it's shades of gray, right? Some of them... I've covered a person with schizophrenia who went on a, a rampage because he was seeing um, hallucinations that the devil was telling him he had to kill someone in order um, to not have something else happen. I can't remember. And so in that case, is that guy evil? No, he's suffering from a terrible mental illness. And I I feel like everybody is a victim in that scenario. You know, he's a victim of his mental illness and failure to get the proper treatment. Mm-hmm. And then the family that he murdered, that he gunned down, is is also the victim. So I, I can't sit here and say, send him to the chair. But then there's other people like Paul Bernardo who – you know, he's a diagnosed psychopath, yeah, which again is is a mental illness in itself. So, or at least a personality disorder. So, yeah. is he? Are there similarities between? Hard, but hard to feel sorry for him, right? No, no, I'm not saying that I feel sorry. No, for I him didn't. At all. I didn't think you were hard to feel sorry for him or for or for Carla Homolka. Such yeah. intentional evil, you know, such planned out evil towards exactly family members and. Exactly. And I and I um I have disdain for both of them, but I guess my point is um there's shades of grey and everything. You can't just say, you know, all of these guys are evil and they need to be put away. Some of them I think have chances for rehabilitation and others I think don't. Um have you ever heard from perpetrators? No. Uh-huh. No. But I have heard from, from quite a few families of victims. Um, as the podcast has grown, um, people have heard about it or someone has said, oh, your case is covered on this show and then they listen. And everyone who's contacted me has had good feedback about my coverage of, of their loved one. Yeah. So that makes me happy. And they've they've said, you know, you, you got all the facts of the case right and you covered it well. So I guess in terms of um, ethics and why I'm doing this, that kind of feedback makes me feel fulfilled in doing this, right. given that I can't bring awareness to an unsolved case. So, I, I'm jealous of you, I mean, for a bunch of reasons. But one is that we just did this thing that was a procedural of a story that hasn't gone to trial yet. Um, and we don't know everything that happened. And then there were you know, publication bans and libel issues. And uh, it was a very difficult story to tell. Um, once it's done, it's been through the courts, there's a story sitting there and, and there's been a ruling on what happened and you can start at the beginning and finish at the ending. So it's a very high standard when it comes to documenting a series of events, but it's right. not it's not perfect. You're broadcasting these details to a very large audience. When we post stories, sometimes people come to us and say, oh, if you're curious about that story, I have some new information for you or, oh, oh. you got that wrong. Have you ever had anyone come to you yes. and try to correct? I have. I've had um, the offers of new information, but in every single instance, it's been based around hearsay and uh-huh. rumor and things that aren't in the public realm already. And so I, I won't go there. Right. Yeah. You're not interested to basically investigate or delve or. I have no capability for investigation. Yeah. yeah. 
So I don't have the time and, quite frankly, the inclination. <laughs> right. Um, how's your well-being? I mean, I, 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 it's had an impact on me covering some of the stories that we've been covering and living in that world and really thinking about how things ended up having tragic outcomes. Mm. Um, have you dealt with similar stuff? Has it, has it ever been harder for you to kind of have murder and psychopaths and serial killers occupy so much of your waking hours? Yes, it definitely has. Um, and more so last year in my first year of podcasting, the worst case that I covered and the case that really affected me was um, Tori Stafford, who was an eight-year-old girl in Woodstock, Ontario, who was um, abducted by a man and his girlfriend yeah. and then uh raped and murdered um, at a secondary location and there was a, a big manhunt and, you know, there's a big a big whole story about how those two ended up there and um, the parents were blamed and it was horrible. But I think the reason why it affected me so much more than the usual cases is A, because it was a child and B, because the details of the case were so graphic because um, they came out through direct witness testimony. Usually it's just through forensic evidence. So, you know, they'll say there were signs that, you know, she was um, she was strangled. But this time, Terry Lynn was saying, I did this and he did that and she reacted this way. And these are the kind of details that um, I've learned people do not want to know. Mm -hmm. And I actually left out quite a few of these details in my episodes on that case. But I, I think if I could do it again, I would leave even more out because I think it just got a bit too much for my audience and and for me. So well, let me ask you about that. Why Why do you wish you had included less of that? I mean, it is so clinical to simply say that the corpse showed signs of a certain kind of trauma and to hear someone describe what they witnessed is what happened if they're telling the truth. I mean, that is – if people are interested in crime, if they're really interested in crime, that's crime. It's awful. Violence is horrible. If you're telling those stories, why shy away from telling them in full? Yeah, so – there's several different sub-audiences in the true crime world. So there's those that like the comedy take where you make fun of the perpetrator. And then there's those that like um, murder porn, uh -huh. which is where you get all the gory details and all the disgusting things that happened in this crime. But then my show is one that focuses more on... Um, you know, telling the victim's stories and going through who the perpetrator is. So it's not so much about the crime itself. It's about before and after, I guess. So my audience in particular is less interested in hearing the gory details than another audience that likes a podcast that goes through every single horrible bit of information they can come across. I noticed that you have warnings now on some of your episodes. Yeah. Um which is sort of counterintuitive, like podcasting is very deliberate. You have to go seek out the show, uh, search for the show, find the show, subscribe to the show, download the show, listen to the show. These people want their crime stuff. Right. So it's not a big surprise. You know, they need to be warned that this is going to be disturbing material. They're looking for disturbing material. Why do you include that warning? Well, everybody started doing it. <laughs> so I did too. But I also changed the warning. Um if it covers something that I know is triggering to a lot of people, um, you know, trigger warnings and content warnings are a big thing these days. 
And I did come across that in the Tory Stafford episode. So I included a warning that said this case deals with the, the murder and sexual assault of a young child. But what I failed to add was that it also included um, a small piece of animal cruelty. Uh-huh. And I got several complaints about that. Really? Yeah. Uh-huh. So there was a, a really small part of the story that involved that. And um, personally, I'm... You know, I love animals, but the animal cruelty thing, I was like, that's horrible. But I just kind of, I focused more on the eight-year-old girl. I could see why. (laughs) I could see why that might have escaped your attention. So in the process of doing this and going through these stories, have you ever like encountered like a tough ethical decision? Yeah. um, Early on, a case was suggested to me from uh, Atlantic Canada, and it was a domestic homicide that, you know, involved a, a guy murdering his wife. And... As I was going through, I'd conducted my research and I realized that there wasn't enough information on the victim herself. I just wanted a couple more details to flesh her out. And in my travels, I had seen that her brother was in the media talking about raising awareness for domestic homicide. So I thought, okay, so he's out in the media. He wants to raise awareness. I can include an angle about domestic homicide in this case. I'll see if he wants to be involved in some way. So I tracked him down and uh, messaged him and, uh, you know, said, you know, I'm a true crime podcaster. I'm new. Um, Would you like to be involved in this story about your sister? I don't need your audio. I just need a couple of details and a message. And he replied back. And obviously a lot had changed between the two years ago when he was talking about domestic homicide in the media and now. And he said, um, my reaching out to him actually drudged it all back again. Uh-huh. And um, he was very nice about it, but my takeaway was that I'd effectively ruined his day. Yeah. So um, he said he didn't want to be involved, and I felt terrible. And I was just like, okay, so in pursuit of the production of my entertainment product, I have effectively ruined this poor man's day. So... I uh, cut the episode, so it it never went to air. I just dropped it. So as not to further, yeah, no, I did. I dredge up these the, the details for him. No, uh huh. Um, I couldn't handle that affecting somebody in that way. But that was also the last time I ever reached out to a family member. So from then, I I learned all I can do is cover the case in the best way I can with details that are already out in the public eye, make sure I do justice to the the memory of the victim, and and hopefully, if they ever come across it, it will not um, anger them in any way or upset them. Hopefully. Yeah. But but it probably will. It will, yeah. Like, and this is something that is not specific to you no, or, no, or, totally. or, or to your genre. It's something that I'm thinking about a lot lately, which is just the extent to which, you know, storytelling is a lot of things. Storytelling can can bring awareness to issues. Storytelling can it, can, it can have positive impacts. There's just the fact that we need as human beings to tell stories to each other, to understand our experience. Right. But storytelling is also almost inherently, there's a level of exploitation to telling somebody else's story to talking about things that happen to other people, to using people as characters in a product that you're putting out there. And I think that it can be done as ethically as possible, you know, and it, it's obvious that you're really concerned about those those issues, but I, I there's no crystal clean, no. Per- perfect way to do this, is there? Like it's No, yeah, there's no, the only way that you could do it without coming across many of the ethical issues is to have like the full consent of all people involved. Yeah. 
Um, you have no idea. Like somebody who went to school with the victim is like, you're going to bring back horrible memories and it's going to make right. them terribly sad. That's going to happen. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. There's always going to be somebody affected. Yeah. It's tough. And it's it's one of the things that I do think about a lot. But at the end of the day, you know, if I wasn't doing it, some other person would be. And so I like to tell the story the way that I like to tell them and make sure that certain angles are covered. So, yeah. I, I think that that's not a great justification for doing it, but I, I think that <laughs> I, I don't. But I, I do think that these things happened. Like, right. Right. Like, what, is it better to never speak their names again? Is it better to act like it never happened? Right. Uh, you know, uh, that's why we we tell stories, you know. Right. Uh, Christy, thank you. Thank you. It's been great to be on. That was your Canada Land. Hope you enjoyed it. You can email me about it. I'm at jesse at canadalandshow.com and I read everything that you send. There is a new episode of Oppo going up this week and the next episode of Thunder Bay will go up next Monday. Episode four of five will be live next Monday. This episode is produced by Ali Graham. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. You can visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like what we do, please help us do it. You can support us and get ad-free podcasts by going to patreon.com slash CanadaLand. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.